Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. It's exciting to feel the energy in the room and to see so many people visiting. We are glad that you're here. Um, My name is Mary Alice and I'm one of the ministers here at Calvary. And if you are new to Calvary, we just want you to know that you are welcome here. You will need a worship folder, one of these things today, and also one of the hymnals in front of you in your pew to guide you through worship today. And another thing is that we would really be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you after today by email or phone just to get to know you better. And one way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out the visitor card in your pews and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That's also a way that you can ask for more information about Calvary or to let us know how we can be praying for you and with you in the coming week. So today we come together to worship God with our whole selves in this place, with our hearts, our heads, our hands, and ultimately with our whole lives. But today we are going to focus in on the head. In this time together, may we set our minds on things above, that we all might be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let us worship God together in this place today.
with me. Gracious God, this morning we bring our whole selves, including our minds, to worship you. We're thankful that here at Calvary we can come together to learn and study and bring our questions, seeking answers that help us to better follow and worship you deeply. As we ask questions that may not have easy answers, we pray that you will give us the courage to be honest with you, ourselves, and others. As we worship you this morning, we ask that you will help us to engage our mind on the texts of the songs we sing, the scriptures we read, and the words preach. Guide our thoughts, guide our lives. Amen. Holy Spirit, 
Good morning, and it's good to see all of you this morning. How are you? Good. Good. How many of you have ever seen one of these before? Do you know what this is called? It does look like a maze. Yes, it is a finger labyrinth. It can also be called a prayer path. Labyrinths help us to slow down and to spend time with God. We can think about God and pray to God. What we do is we put our finger at the entrance and we slowly trace the path. It is impossible to get lost in a labyrinth because there is only one path to take and it leads to the center and then back out again. So we quietly and slowly trace the path. We get to the center and we can pause there and we can think about God and how God is always present with us and then we can move right back out. And we try to let go of any distractions and just spend some time with God when we're doing this. So everyone needs to get one of these this morning. These are finger labyrinths. Each one of us can get one. 
And we also have them in our worship folders this morning. Mm -hmm. So this is something that you can use during worship today. We'll also have a special opportunity after the sermon to use these. And you can also take this home and use it this week during the week to pray to God and to spend time with God. So as we continue to pass those out, will you pray with me? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that we can pray and spend time with you. Help us to know you better each day and to love you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.
A reading from the Epistle to the Colossians. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. A reading from the Epistle to the Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, 
A few years ago when I returned to graduate school in psychology, I chose to go to a school that thought a little differently than I was previously trained. It was more of a psychoanalytic school. So I got to my first class in dream interpretation. The professor gave us a narrative of a dream. We were supposed to come back the next week with our interpretation of the dream. So we got back the next week and there were 15 interpretations of the dream. And afterwards I raised my hand and I said, so which one's correct? And the professor said, well, potentially any of them. Really? <laughs> so I go to my next class. It was a class in child development. There was a presentation on the psychoanalytic theory of the development of guilt in infants. And the presenter was talking about it had something to do with a teething baby and a nursing mother. And when those two things happened at the same time, it wasn't a good thing and guilt developed. So I raised my hand. I said, well, what about bottle-fed babies? How do they develop guilt? Yeah, that didn't go over too well either. So I realized that my way of thinking was pretty different. So I needed to find a, a way to be a psychologist that made more sense to me. So I, I was drawn toward a, an approach to psychology called cognitive behavior therapy. And this has to do with the intersection between the way we think and the way we feel. You know, Epictetus, an early Greek philosopher 2,000 years ago, said people are not disturbed by things, but rather by the view they take of them. Now, cognitive psychology uh, claims this truth in more recent times, but the pinnings of the approach to treatment really was thousands of years old. Most of the cognitive psychologists are atheists, but most of the truths are found in scripture. So I wanted to give you a few snapshots of some ways of thinking about some problems that we often face in today's world. There's a particular tool 
in cognitive behavior therapy called reframing. And so that's when you take something out of one picture frame and you put it into another. So um, many people struggle with um, the fear of being rejected or disapproved by others. So as Christians, who is our perfect model for who we would aspire to be but Christ? Nothing wrong with Christ. Perfect. Everybody liking? Yeah, not so much. Now, I don't know about you, but that helps me a lot. It tells me even if I were perfect, I would be rejected. So many times we try to find approval in others and we just become a mirror image of whoever we're around instead of being the full expression of who we are. What about worry? Any of you worry? Really? Okay, thanks. All right, so let me ask you, how many of the things you've worried about have actually come true? So that's why you worry. Apparently it works. <laughs> Every time you do it, nothing bad happens. Now, from a learning perspective, we know that if we do something that causes something good to happen, that will increase the chances we'll do that something again. We also know that if we do something that prevents something bad from happening, that will increase the chances we'll do that something again. So every time you worry, nothing bad happens unconsciously, you've been reinforced to continue to worry. Anybody ever worried before you took a test? Then what'd you do? Study. And then you did well in the test. Now, why'd you do well in the test? Because you worried? No, because you studied. So worry actually is something that we do because we think it's evidence that we care. Now, is there any scriptural support for that? Actually, scripture's quite the contrary to that. So I would propose that worry is what we do when we're out of control. It's what we do that makes us think we have control, when in fact, if we can ask the question, is there something I can do about this? If so, do it. If not, pray about it is our scriptural command. What about risk-taking? Anybody take a risk? How do we become the full expression of who we are without taking a risk? What does Scripture tell us in the parable of the talents? Scripture tells us to take what we are gifted with and go and invest it, and it will be returned with favor. Now, I, I wish Christ had done a little better job with this parable. I, I wish that one of the investors had lost their investment, and I would have liked to have seen the advice on that, but we, didn't, we don't have that. So we were just commanded to give it a try, go for it, take a risk. What about forgiveness? Why is forgiveness so hard for us? Well, many times people struggle with forgiveness because we're supposed to forget, right? But what's Christ teaching on forgiveness? Forgive not seven, but 77 times. 
You know, the number seven in classical Greek has a future perfect tense attached to it. So forgiveness is something we have to do now and in the future. It's a process, not a single event. Well, that makes it look different to me. So forgiveness is something I have to do over and over forever and ever. It's a journey. What about suffering? Uh, this is a verse I used to hate. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now that word rejoice actually means to remain steadfast in Christ. Now that reads a little better for me. Remain steadfast in Christ in our suffering. That produces perseverance, character, and hope. So when we take it out of one frame and put it into another, it begins to make more sense to me. So, Mary Alice's scripture, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it's my constant journey, and I invite you into it with me, to continue to look for ways to reframe in order to more fully understand uh, the mind and the heart and the hands of Christ. God, be in our heads and in our understanding. God, be in our eyes and in our looking. God, be on our lips and in our speaking. God, be in our hearts and in our thinking. Be in every part of our lives, O oh God. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you may have heard me share about my relationship with my Uncle Jack from Kentucky. My Uncle Jack loved books more than anyone else I've ever met. 
He had piles of books literally overflowing from his office at Georgetown College, where he was a religion professor. In fact, he had so many books, and his office was hoarded so full of them that it was rare for students to meet him in his office because there wasn't anywhere for them to sit. So finally, the college gave him a second office space where he could begin to store his books. But before long, that room was actually overflowing too. Now, Jack didn't love being around large crowds of people. And whenever we were at family gatherings, he and I would often find a quiet space where we could get away and talk. And he would always ask me who I was reading, what I was learning in school, and what I thought about various current events. And one of his favorite things to do was to send me books in the mail. Really, that began when I was in high school. He got me my own subscription to the weekly Baptist newspaper in Kentucky, the Western Recorder, which means I've been a Baptist nerd for most of my life. But then even after I moved to Texas, he would continue to send me books in the mail to read. And actually, some of my favorite authors today, like Frederick Buechner, I love so much in part because Jack first sent me one of his books in the mail. Well, when Jack passed away unexpectedly a few years ago, one of the greatest gifts and one of the most time-consuming tasks was going through all of his books. In fact, we still haven't gone through all of them several years later. And they're so special to me because as you go through them, you notice the things that he underlined or the pages that he folded over, notes that he scratched to the side, and, and you begin to wonder what he must have been thinking. These books were his world. And in fact, as we were preparing for his memorial service at Georgetown College, the chapel just felt so formal that I actually marched myself up to his office and I started grabbing piles of books and I scattered them all across the table in the stage in front of the chapel. And I really think he would have liked that. My Uncle Jack was not a feeler. I don't think he ever told me that he loved me and he rarely said it to his own children, even though we all knew that he did. He would have heard my sermon last week on our hearts burning within us and thought, well, doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> I, I even think he may have envied people who talk about God relationally with feelings of zeal and passion, but, but it just wasn't how he naturally engaged with God because at his core, Uncle Jack was a thinker and he connected with God and with other people primarily through the mind. So if you weren't here last week, we talked about engaging with God through our heart. And it's a unique part of who we are here at Calvary. I love what Harold Brown has been telling me this week. He said that it was the stirring within his heart that first led him to Calvary. He was just walking around our neighborhood and asking God where he might go to church. And he felt that God led him to Calvary through his heart. And that ultimately, it was God speaking to him through his heart that led him to follow Christ. And I'm sure we could go around this room and hear story after story like that about this sense within us that the Holy Spirit is up to something that we just can't explain, but we can feel it in our heart nonetheless. 
But as Dennis Hollinger says in his book on head, heart, and hands, having great spiritual experiences that stir our emotions is great, but it will not necessarily engender spiritual depth and maturity. And that's where the head comes in. Now, many of us in this room are like my Uncle Jack. We engage with God primarily through the mind. Now, the easiest indicator of this would be the education represented in this room. I think there are quite a few bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, and PhDs in this room, perhaps above what might be considered average for a church. But I think the head of Calvary goes far beyond that. Because even if you don't have any letters after your name, not all of us do, I would venture to guess that you are here in part because you want to be part of a church that is thoughtful and intentional. You want to be in a church where you are encouraged and even challenged to think. Some of this may be so second nature for us that we just take it for granted. For instance, you've probably noticed that the choir at Calvary doesn't sit in the choir loft. They sit with us in the congregation. So does everyone leading worship, including the ministers. And there's actually thought behind that. It shows that we are a church that is not led by a hierarchy, but a church that is led from within our congregation. It shows that no one person here is more important than anyone else, and we like to hear the diverse voices of different ages and genders within our congregation. But that requires some thought and intentionality. Or, even though I know it's, it's second nature for many of us to hear a woman preach or read scripture or serve as deacons or be ordained, that's not the norm in the vast majority of churches, especially within our Baptist world. And it's taken Calvary a good amount of thinking to discern why we affirm women based on what we read in scripture. And anytime someone new joins us and hasn't seen a woman preach before, which, by the way, happens almost every single week, it causes them to pause and to think about what they believe about that. Even the Samaritans Fund that we take up every three weeks that goes toward emergent needs in our congregation and community, it involves a significant amount of thinking among the team that stewards that fund about the best ways to use that money. They're constantly asking themselves how they can use this fund to help people in long-lasting ways instead of putting band-aids on situations that aren't improving. And there aren't easy answers on this team. It requires thoughts and perspectives from a variety of people to use the Samaritan's Fund well. Another thing is that we hardly do anything at Calvary just for the sake of doing it or because it's always been done a certain way. And if we do, someone is probably going to ask why we do it. And that's another thing. We're not afraid of questions here, are we? I haven't been to a Sunday school class, small group, or committee meeting where someone didn't ask a question that completely changed the way we were thinking. But the question that I'd like for us to ask ourselves today is not whether or not Calvary is a thinking church. I think that's a given. The question is, how do we allow God to use our thinking to transform us? 
Today's text in Romans 12 tells us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. One scholar translated it as, do not let yourselves be shaped by what everyone else does, but rather let yourselves be transformed by a whole new way of thinking. Now, interestingly enough, this text has popped up all over the place this week. Many of you may recognize it as the theme from Linda Livingstone's inauguration on Thursday at Baylor and what a meaningful time that was to reflect on this passage and what it means for the Baylor community. And then on Friday, I was actually having lunch with Hewlett Glower from Truett Seminary. And if you've ever sat down and had a conversation with Hewlett Glower, you know that every one of them is filled with this spiritual depth and insight. And so he began to talk to me about conversion and how it can never be this one-time event that just happened in our past and is over. He said conversion has to be an ongoing part of our lives with Christ, that you and I must be continually transformed, making a nod to Romans 12. And then he went on to say that the ancients knew that you can't change your behavior without first changing your thinking. It's our minds that need to be continually renewed in order for our lives to be continually transformed. That changes the way we think about it, doesn't it? But this requires our minds to be open, doesn't it? And that's not always easy for us. It means being curious and, and leaning in to listen more closely. It means never becoming so comfortable where we are that we might close ourselves off from something new. Admitting that sometimes we might be wrong. Seeking to truly understand and to learn from another person's perspective. And ultimately, the renewing of our minds requires a huge dose of humility. You may have heard of Alexander Campbell. He was a pastor who immigrated to the United States from Scotland in the early 19th century. And he had a variety of rules by which to interpret scripture. For instance, his first rule was to always consider the historical circumstances, the date, the author, the place, the context. Another rule was to pay attention to who is speaking in the text and to consider his or her perspectives or prejudices. He also said pay attention to the type of writing. Is it a letter? Is it a poem? Is it a narrative? Are there symbols or metaphors within the text? And if so, what would they have meant in that original context? And all of these rules showed that Campbell knew that a good amount of work goes into reading scripture in a thoughtful and well-informed way. But his last rule, he said, was indispensable. He said that scripture is best interpreted within a circle of understanding in which God is at our center and humility is the circumference. And as faithful readers of the text, we have to find ourselves within that circle of humility. And that means every time we come to scripture, even the stories we've read time and time again, or even taught time and time again, even those who have letters after our names, whatever they may be, we must be willing to come to the text with a spirit of humility and an openness to hear this fresh new word from God. 
As we read just earlier in Romans 11:33, oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable God's ways. The more you and I discover about God, the more we realize we don't know about God, which is exactly why our pursuit of the knowledge of God is so significant because it's never truly finished. And just when we begin to think it is finished, just when we think we've got it all figured out, we cease to engage with God with a mind that is willing to be renewed and a life that is ready to be transformed. One of the best examples of this actually happens in Scripture and takes place after Jesus' resurrection. When Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and sees that the stone has been rolled away, She immediately thinks that somebody has taken Jesus' body and she doesn't know where they've taken him. And she is absolutely convinced that her take on the situation is the only possible way to understand it. And even when Jesus appears to her face to face, what does she think? She thinks he's the gardener. She just can't imagine another way for the story to make sense. And it is, it's too painful and too unfathomable to think anything different. But when Jesus calls her by name, the story that Mary is telling herself in her mind immediately changes. She recognizes her beloved teacher and she calls out to him. And within moments, she runs off to share what becomes one of the most powerful testimonies in all of Scripture. I have seen the Lord. The resurrection completely changes her mind, doesn't it? And it continues to do the same for us even 2,000 years later. For instance, you and I can become trapped in patterns of thinking that, that we are never enough, never good enough, never smart enough, never pretty enough, never rich enough, never enough. But the resurrection tells us that Christ is always enough. He's enough for all of us, that Christ will satisfy all of our needs. Or sometimes in a particular situation, we may begin to think that the grief in our life will never end and the pain is just too great to overcome. But the resurrection tells us that even though scars may remain, new life is springing up all around us. The stories in our minds can sometimes convince us that we are unloved or unlovable, but the resurrection teaches us about the most radical love we can imagine, love that has been and will be pursuing us all the days of our lives. Or we can begin to think that maybe our doubts are just too great. I don't know about this whole faith thing. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. But the resurrection reminds us that if Jesus could handle Mary's doubts face to face, then surely he can handle our doubts too. We can become trapped by thinking that maybe our situation will never change and that things will never get any better. But the resurrection dispels that myth and gives us this courage to hope for and to believe in this beautiful promise of new life. Friends, Jesus' resurrection demands that we open up our minds to new ways of thinking about God and God's unexplainable, indescribable, and unimaginable love for us. 
And it shows us that radical transformation is possible when we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, but on things that couldn't possibly be explained logically or rationally or in any other way. And that's where the head can sometimes be a challenge for us, can't it? Ultimately, our faith can and must be explored through the head but it can never be adequately explained or understood through the head alone. Perhaps that's what French philosopher and Christ follower Blaise Pascal meant when he said, the heart has its reasons which the mind knows nothing of. Friends, that's why we need a whole faith of the heart, the head, and the hand. There's one last story I'd like to share with you about my Uncle Jack. Just a few days before he died, he had emailed me to say that he was putting a book in the mail for me, The Dance of the Dissident Daughter by Sue Monk Kidd. And sure enough, the night when I got back from his memorial service in Kentucky, there was a package sitting on my doorstep here in Texas. And it was his last gift to me in his own handwriting. I actually have it framed in my office if you ever want to see it. But there was something that was even neater than that, and that was all these people started posting stories on Facebook about their own experiences with Uncle Jack and how he would always send them just the right book in the mail at just the right time. One person commented, I thought I was his favorite. (laughs) And the truth is that we all did. I thought he was doing this for me because I was his favorite niece, and I was in seminary, and I was real cool. And then I learned he was doing this for hundreds of students. The truth is we will never know how many hundreds of books he mailed to his students. And the college actually streamed his memorial service online because there were people all over the world who wanted to watch it and to be a part. So yes, my Uncle Jack was a thinker, absolutely. He was always helping me to think about God in new ways, and it was one of the greatest gifts that he brought to this world. But he didn't live in his head. He very well could have shut himself up in his office with all of those books, but he didn't. And it took an incredible amount of heart and of hand to do what he did with such love and care week after week after week. Bernard of Clairvaux may have said it best. He said, there are those who seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge, and that is curiosity. There are those who seek knowledge to be known by others, and that is vanity. And then there are those who seek knowledge in order to serve. And that is love. And so may we go and do likewise. God, I pray that you would help us to love you with all of our minds. Help us to ask questions, to not settle for easy answers, and to continually be digging deeper in Scripture and in our thoughts of who you are and who you are calling and creating us to be. And what a gift it is that we have a church family where we can do that together. We can do that in community with one another. God, help our minds and our thoughts to be centered on you. Because there are so many distracting thoughts that could come our way. 
that could also take us away from you. Help us to set our minds on things above, day in and day out. And God, help our minds and our thinking to stir us into action and to inform the ways that we love others in your name and the ways that we build up your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us your thoughts, your wisdom, your discernment, and that we might seek after you all the days of our life. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we did last week, we are going to respond a little differently after each sermon during this series. There will always be our invitation to go to the back and to visit with a minister. And perhaps today you're wanting to begin that journey of being transformed by following Jesus, who leads us not only into a whole new way of thinking, but a whole new way of life. We'd love to visit with you about that. Or maybe today you are ready to make Calvary your church home and your community of faith. We would love to visit with you about that. And so however God is leading you to respond, you're welcome to come to the back during the song of response. But for the next few moments, I'd like for us all to respond to God with our minds. You may have heard Emily share about the labyrinth with the children earlier, and there's also a labyrinth in your worship folder if you would like to use that as a way to center your own thoughts on God. Or you may want to write out your thoughts to God or surrender some of your thoughts to God. Or you may want to use this time to simply be still and know that God is God. We will enjoy a few minutes of reflection together, and then you're welcome to join us in singing during our song of response. Pure to know your ways, 
Let's pray. Father, we stand before you so grateful for a wonderful morning of worship. Our eyes are on you, so our hearts are full, our minds are challenged. Now help us with the hands part. May we joyfully release the many things you have generously provided us. Our money, our time, our abilities, and our talents, really anything that you know we hold on to too tightly. Help us trust you enough to offer them back to you. Prompt us to extend your generosity, your spirit, to all those around us. May we be salt and light everywhere we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Just as a reminder, we know that Tuesday is Halloween, and Calvary is helping our Sanger Heights Neighborhood Association and the Good Neighbor House with Halloween on Colcord. And thanks so much to everyone who has donated candy, especially to Brian Boyle for getting lots of candy from the Mars Candy Factory. Uh, but I just wanted to give you the address Tuesday night if you want to come stop by with your kids or if you want to come volunteer and help with carnival games or handing out candy. We'll be at 2301 Colcord, setting up, I think, around 5 o'clock and then finishing up and cleaning up after 8. So we'd love to see a great outpouring of support from Calvary there. Also, next Sunday, if you are new to Calvary at all, we, our deacons would love to invite you to join us for lunch after worship just down in the fellowship hall. It's nothing formal. There's not a long agenda. There's not a program. This is just lunch and a way to get to know you and for you to get to know Calvary better. And so we'd love for you to RSVP with Nathan in our office about that. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you, may Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with you always. Amen. <laughs>